Good morning, church. My name's John. I serve here as executive pastor. It's good to be with you this morning. There's really two hazards for a preacher as they go to prepare their sermon. The first one is that they have a 30-minute time slot and only 20 minutes of material. Nothing comes to them. They sit and pray and ask for brilliance, and they, they just have 20 minutes. The second is that they have a 30-minute time slot and 40 minutes of material, and believe it or not, that's where we find ourselves this morning. We've got a little bit of ground to cover today, so we're going gonna, gonna to do my best to, to uh, keep to my time slot, but just want to give you a heads up, we've got a lot of material to cover. So we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 16 this morning. We've been making our way through the book of Deuteronomy, sort of a chapter at a time. We find ourselves in chapter 16. Moses is preaching to the nation of Israel as they stand on the banks of the Jordan, just about ready to cross the Jordan and enter the promised land. And Moses has been giving them uh, sermon after sermon of a, a reteaching of the law and the commands of God. And so we find ourselves in chapter 16 this morning, and Moses is going to lay out some more detailed legislation for the nation of Israel. He's going he's to give them some teaching on three feasts, three festivals that are important for the people to follow so that they do well in the promised land. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 17 this morning. The words be on the screen behind me. Or you're welcome to follow along in your copy of the scriptures. Observe the month of Aviv and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God. Because in the month of Aviv, he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd, at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Remember back in chapter 12, we talked about the place, right? This is the tabernacle, or soon to be in Jerusalem, the temple. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time you departed from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in your possession in all your land for seven days. Do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the, e on the evening of the first day remain until morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town of the Lord your God gives you, except in the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening when the sun goes down on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it in the place that the Lord your God will choose. Then in the morning return, return to your tents. For six days eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day hold an assembly to the Lord your God and do, not, and do no work. It's the first feast festival. The second, count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in portion to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your town and the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. All right, that's the second one. Now the third one, celebrate the festival of tabernacles. For seven days after you have gathered the produce 
of your threshing floor and your winepress. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your towns. For seven days celebrate the festival of the Lord your God at the place your Lord, the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in portion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. All right, so here Moses gives instruction, detailed instruction about these three feasts, these three festivals, these three pilgrimages the people must go on back to the temple or back to the tabernacle. We ask ourselves this morning, what's going on? What's, what's happening here uh, with these festivals? So let's, let's talk through these festivals just quickly and, and get kind of a review of what was happening. The first required festival was the Passover. The Passover is closely linked to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So they're actually combined together, and it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but Passover is a part of that. They're closely connected together. And the main theme of this festival, which the Hebrew word for it is Pesach. Have you guys maybe heard that? It means Passover. So Pesach is this, this, this Passover feast, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and the, the important thing that's happening uh, during this feast or this festival is remembering. Do you catch that word as, you, as we read the text? There's this idea of remembering. The Israelites are to remember what it was like when they were in Egypt, and then they left in haste, and they, they weren't even able to let their bread rise. God came, and he, he rescued them in their affliction and brought them and will be bringing them into the promised land. So it's this time of remembering what God did for them. They remember their affliction, and that leads to a celebration of their rescue. The second is the festival of weeks. In Hebrew, this word is Shavuot. Shavuot. This is a harvest party for the nation of Israel. This is a, a joyful celebration. This is a pilgrimage all together, all the people coming from throughout the promised land, and they're, they're bringing their goods, and they're celebrating what God has done. They've just harvested their, their grain, and it's this, this joyous time, this celebration of how good God is. They're celebrating their, their blessings and their provision and the peace that they have in the promised land, and, and they're they're celebrating with God, gathered together with him at his place, thanking him for how good he has been to them. Finally, the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. This is called Sukkot. Sukkot. We just ended Sukkot. started on October 9th, and it went through October 16th. This feast, this is still recognized and remembered today. In fact, if you put the pictures up on the screen, Matt, there's, this is a, a, a town, a neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York, and you can see on the outside of their apartments these little temporary shelters that have been made. You go into that shelter and have a meal together and remember God's faithfulness to you and, and his delivering you out of Egypt and carrying you for the last 40 years and, and then bringing you into the promised land. Sukkot was like a a week-long family camping trip, 
Everybody would get their, their gear and get their temporary shelter, and they would all be together, camping together. And unlike the Passover where they remembered their affliction, the Feast of Booth was not specifically to remember their affliction, but just to celebrate God's care of them as they moved through the wilderness and eventually entered the promised land. So you may be thinking, okay, great, what is the point of all this for us today? What's our takeaway today? What does this mean for us today? Maybe some of you are thinking, I knew it. We do only have to go to church three times. Christmas, Easter, Ash Wednesday, right? That's it. And I get it, right? We don't fully recognize these feasts as the nation of Israel did and as the Jewish people today do. Although many Christians do recognize and do celebrate these things, it's, it's different. We aren't the nation of Israel, and we aren't the historic Jewish people. We follow Christ. We follow Christ. And, and we don't have this obligation to, to move together as a people and go to a central location and sacrifice animals and give offerings. We don't do that any longer. Instead, we gather for worship weekly. We come together weekly. We gather as a people of God together in this place and places throughout our county and the country and all over the world. We gather together. And so if we're going to ask ourselves the question of, what does this text mean for me today? What can I learn from this text today? The first thing that I think we should do is we should ask the question, what can we learn about God from this text? We want to apply this to our life today. The first question I think we can ask is, what, what more can we learn about God? What can we learn about who he is and his character, his heart? What, what, can, we, what, what can we glean about God from this text? Well, let me offer a few things. The first thing that I would offer is that, is that God, in his instructions and in his thoughts, his heart about worship and the people of God gathering together, I would say that, that, that it, remembering is important to God. God is a, a God who wants us to remember. Remembering is important to God. And in the gathering of God's people, and the gathering together for worship, that there should be times of remembering what he has done. The songs that we sing are probably one of the, the most powerful ways that we remember who God is and who he has been to his people and who he is to us today. What's interesting to think about is in that remembering, we should remember our affliction. We should remember where we came from. We should remember when we were lost in sin and what God has done for us. That he has rescued us through Jesus Christ. The second thing I would offer is that celebrating is important to God. All throughout these festivals, the gathering of his people, there's this, this theme of rejoicing and celebrating, having your joy be complete. The people of God get together. There should be a party. We're not great at partying, partying are we? The people of, of God are not necessarily known for partying. But that's what they were known for back then. These, these amazing times where people just coming from all over the place and singing and praising and rejoicing and eating together and drinking together. Incredible times of celebration. These were not worldly parties. We, we think about partying. This is not a worldly party. This was a, a party in the presence of God 
feeling his goodness and rejoicing and celebrating together. The third thing I would offer, uh, offer is that meaningful worship is important to God. We can look at the law that's laid out for us in Deuteronomy. And we can look at the specifics of these festivals and we can sort of just rest on the, the obedience part of it. And we're, okay, I've got that, God. I'll, we'll put this into our calendar and we'll make sure that we check those boxes off. And, and that's not the intent. That, of course, God wants the people of Israel to be obedient, but when we look closely at the activities that he lays out here, these are aimed at the hearts of the people being more inclined towards him. So yes, these are obligations, and yes, these are things that the people must do, but the point of all of this is that their hearts would be softened. Their hearts would be more inclined to God. These are not just hoops that the people are to jump through. Meaningful worship is important to God. These were times of great sacrifice and giving of offerings and praising together and praying together. The fourth thing I would offer is that everyone, everyone is important to God. And while we see in verse 16 and 17 that only the men were required to go, if we look at verses 11 and verses 14, we see that everyone was invited. The list is an inclusive list. Your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, the Levites living in your town, those that are foreigners among, among you, and those that are fatherless, the orphan. This is a list of people. We're, we're, if you were in Israel at that time, you were to gather everyone in your household, everyone that was connected to you and the foreigner that was near you and the fatherless child that was there. You were to take everyone to go and experience the presence of God. God wants to include everyone in the worship of him. We can glean that from this text. If we ask ourselves, what does this mean for us today? We can, ask, we can look and say, what, is it, what can we learn about God? What can we learn about his heart? What can we learn about his character? The second question I think that we should ask ourselves is what did this mean for the original audience, the original hearers of this command, this text this morning? What did it mean for them? We've said over and over as we looked at Deuteronomy that the book was not written what? Oh, first service nailed this, you guys. The book was not written to us, but it was written, all right, for us. It wasn't written to us, but it was written for us, all right? So if we want to know more about what this text means, let's look at the original audience and let's discover what it might have meant or what it meant for them as a people hearing it for the first time. So if we want to ask ourselves, what might this mean for us? We want to glean something about God. Well, let's understand what it meant for the original audience. What did it mean for them? We know that all the commands that Moses gives in the book of Deuteronomy and, and this com these commands specifically about these three festivals, these were designed to help the people of Israel be faithful to the covenant that God had given them, the covenant that God had established with them so that it may go well with them when they enter the promised land. So these were given for the people's good, that they would have something, have a place, and then have a time where they could go together and worship God, that in the midst of all that they were going to do in the promised land, and their harvesting, and their conquering, and everything that was going to happen, that they would have these times set aside a week at a time, right? 
where they could just worship God and that, that would strengthen their hearts and strengthen them as a people so that they would not drift from him. The original audience would hear this as very important to keeping the covenant that God had established, that they would be righteous and a holy people. This was for their good. This was for them. God gave these as times for them to worship and be with him, to be in his presence, and to be together as a nation focused on him. This idea of worship is, is really important to Moses. That they, they need to get worship right in order to, to have it go well with them in the promised land. All right. The third question we can ask ourselves if we want to try to apply this text for us today, we would say, okay, what did we learn about God? Well, we, we made some applications. We learned some, some things there. What did we learn about the original audience? And then what do we take from those two things? And, and how, what can we apply to our lives today? What's some of the overarching things that are, are being taught? What are some overarching things that we can learn about this text, about God, about the original audience, and then apply to our lives today? And I think a good way to do that a good way to do that is to ask, well, so how did this go for the Israelites? Like, how, how did they do in this? Like, maybe we can learn something about how they continued to follow these festivals and how they continued to worship God, and, and we, can, we can ask ourselves, well, how, how, did it, how did it go? How did it go for them? Well, it's not surprising that to many of us, because we've, we've read ahead in the story, many of us have, right? It did not go well for Israel when they entered the promised land. Spoiler. It did not go well for them. In fact, almost immediately after entering the promised land, they began to worship other gods. They began to, to follow other gods, and, and they, they forgot not only the law of God, they, can, they completely forgot about who God was and what he had done for them. If we look at the book of Judges, chapter 2, verses 10 through 15, the, the beginning of, of Judges, chapter 2, explains who Joshua was. And it talks about Joshua being faithful, and the generation that was with him was faithful to God. And then it goes, it, it goes into the telling us that Joshua has passed away. So after the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that's a way of saying after Joshua's generation had passed away, they were gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served Baals. Those are foreign gods. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baals and Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord God gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. They were in great distress. So they have these laws and these commands that God had given them. And they enter the promised land and just one generation, once the, the old men, Joshua and those old 
men and that generation passed away, that next generation forgot God. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? You reflect on it and you think of it. They've entered the promised land and now this is what happened. Well, what's interesting to me is, is, okay, so what happened to the festivals? Like, what happened to the, to the worship? Like, what, ha- what happened? Like, why didn't you do what God had commanded you to do? Why didn't you walk in faithfulness? That, that next generation, it's, it's actually interesting to, to look and to see, okay, well, we know that Israel kind of rode this roller coaster, right, where they, they would sin, and then they would come back to God, and then they would sin, and then they would come back to God. Well, if, you, if we review the Old Testament, we look in the books of Judges and Joshua and Chronicles and First and Second Kings, and we, we look to see, okay, what happened to these three feasts? It's really interesting. If you read in Second Chronicles 35, you, it says this, the Passover. So the Passover was the most important thing for the nation of Israel. It's what gave them their identity. In, in Chronicles, we read the Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. And none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah with the priests and the Levites and all of Judah and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem. The Passover was celebrated in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. So from, from Samuel into Josiah. Church, that was 400 years. So for 400 years, the people of God didn't celebrate the feast that gave them their identity. They forgot God. They forgot the feasts and the festivals. They did not do what God had told them to do. And church, I believe if, if we want to understand what this text means for us, we can, we can ask ourselves the question, well, why not? God establishes these feasts and festivals that people don't follow them and it doesn't go well for them. And what, what can we glean from that? What can we learn from that this morning? Let's, let's try to understand a little bit more about what happened and then let's, let's work to apply some of this to our lives. The first thing first thing that I would offer is that they did not obey God. That sounds really obvious, but, but if we look at the specifics, what Israel actually did when they entered the promised land, they had really specific instructions about what to do to the places that they were to go and the people that they were going to interact with. They were to dispossess them of the land, drive them out of the land, and they were to to settle in the land, and they were not to intermarry with the people, and they were not to, to combine with them in any way, shape, or form. And every tribe in Israel, when they entered the promised land, they did the exact opposite. They did not obey God's commands. They did not do what he told them to do. What they did is they thought, we got this. We got this. We can dabble a little bit. These people seem good and successful. We can, we got this. We can do this on our own. We don't have to follow God's laws. We don't have to follow his commands. They disobeyed God. 
what God wanted them to do, what God told them to do, the, thing that, the things that would make it go well for them in the promised land, they decided that didn't apply to them. That didn't apply to them. They had better ideas. They had elevated themselves and themselves and their thoughts and their ideas above what God had established for them. Moses says over and over that they were a stiff-necked people. Stubborn. A stubborn people thinking that they knew what was best. And in that church, I ask myself and I ask each of you, are you ever stubborn like that? You ever stubborn to the things of God? Ever stubborn to to wanting to walk in righteousness and to follow him and to do what's right? Ever stubborn in your heart? You think that you know best instead of submitting to God and doing what he has called us to? It's interesting that before COVID, the average church attendance for someone was 2.5 times a month. The average person went to church 2.5 times a month. Post-COVID, the number is lower than 1.5. 1.5. And I, I look at that and I think, man, what an opportunity to get back on track, <laughs> right? What an opportunity to say, you know, my way of not going <laughs> to church and doing whatever else I want to do on a Sunday morning, I, I want to get back to church. What an opportunity. The second thing, if we were to look at, okay, what happened? Why, why did they abandon worshiping God? Why, what barriers were in place for Israel to worshiping God? The second thing we can say is they worshiped idols and other gods. And I know, again, that sounds obvious, but their hearts, they did not follow the festivals and the feasts and the times of worshiping God because they had chosen other things. They had chosen idols and other gods, instead of choosing God. And church, in that, I think we can ask ourselves that that question of, do we have idols that we choose over worshiping God, over getting together with the people of God, and celebrating and rejoicing, and being with Him? Do we have idols in our lives that are barriers that keep us from doing that? I know I do. I'll, I'll tell you one. Kids sports. How many of you have argued with your child about whether they can or cannot play in that Sunday morning game? You don't have to raise your hand because there's kids in here, so I won't embarrass anybody. I will embarrass myself and tell you I have. We wrestled around that issue. We, we, we prioritize things, church, over getting together and the worship of God. One of my favorite things when I, when I get into church and I see kids in their uniforms, right? Their soccer uniforms. We got one down here in the front. <laughs> Sorry, Alice. <laughs> they're in their soccer uniforms because they're going to go from this place quickly in a van to a soccer field. But they made this a priority for them and their family in the morning. How about your free time? I just want to have a relaxing weekend. I just want to, my own time. And there's all sorts of idols. The list can go on and on. Church, we choose other things 
and we prioritize other things, and that becomes a barrier for us to worshiping God together with the people of God and in his presence. Third thing I would offer is that they neglected the teaching of the things of God to their children. Judges says that the generation went to be with their ancestors and the next generation did not follow God. So clearly something happened, right? This is a discipleship failure that although they were faithful to God, they did not pass on the faith to their children. Something happened where that next generation, it says, did not know God and forgot his ways. They were, they were not following God because they were neglected by their, the generation above them did not teach them the things of God. Moses says over and over through the book of Deuteronomy, and the most famous place is Deuteronomy chapter 6, where he says, impress these things on your children. There's a responsibility for the nation of Israel and those parents to tell that next generation about God, about his law, and about his commands. And church, if we're going to ask ourselves this question, what can we glean? Can we, can we say that it is, it is very important as parents that we impress these things on our children? That we share who God is and his laws and his commands and his word and his ways with our children. Have you ever thought, church, that if the parents here stopped doing that, that the church, just like the nation of Israel, would be one generation away from having no leaders, no one following the faith? This is an important thing. All the research would tell us that if you, if you're, for your child to know Jesus, to come to know Jesus, and to, to grow in the church, it's because of the, the role that the parents played in their lives. Parents are that primary faith influencer in a child's life. And now church, I get it, this, it's different. We are not the nation of Israel. We have an individual soul and relationship with Christ. And parents can introduce Christ to their children and they can work to disciple their children and they can bring them to church even in their soccer uniform. And something, a disconnect can happen that that children have their own relationship with Christ. I I understand it. it, it's different. But we cannot under, we, we can't forsake what God's word tells us. And we can't forsake what what all the research tells us about how children grow in the faith. We need to continue as parents to pass these things on to our children. And we need to be a church that supports parents, that gives them programs and resources and mentoring and coaching and opportunities to, to grow their kids up in the faith. I'd also say, that we also need to be a church that realizes and recognizes that there are kids in our community who are growing up in homes that have no spiritual influence. There's no witness for Christ in their home. And so we must also be a church 
that understands that situation, and we invite those kids to come to church, and we invite those kids to know who Jesus is. We can strengthen homes, and we can strengthen parents, and at the same time, we can we can reach out to kids that don't know him. And church, in all of this, there's this, this moment here, right, where we need to pause for a second. Because I know there's many people in this room who have had a Christian home, and they've raised their kids in the faith, and they've introduced them to Jesus at a young age, and they've brought them to church, and now their kids have, are, are far from God. And they've made choices other than the choices that they would have had them make. And I want you to know, our heart breaks with your heart. That there are, are children who were raised in homes that followed Jesus, and are, they are no longer walking with Christ. I want you to know that we love you, we care for you, and we hold out hope, just like you do that those kids will one day find their way back. That they'll one day find their way back. That the things that you taught and the home that you had created will not be forever forgotten. We pray for those families and we pray for those kids and we beg God to bring them back. Finally, I would offer this. If we look at what happened with Israel and their, their abandoning of God's law and specifically the abandoning of worship and not following specifically the Passover and these other feasts, one of the reasons why, one of the barriers for Israel not worshiping God was that they were overcome with, with shame because of their sin. They were overcome with guilt. They were hurt they were lost. They were a sinful mess. And instead of running to God early and often in that, they, they ran the other direction. They were so afraid and so ashamed and so hurt. They were a mess in their sin. And they were, were hurt or angry at God. They ran away instead of running towards him. And I, I would ask you, and I, I ask myself, do you wrestle with this? Do we wrestle with this? Is, does your life get in that messy place or you've made those mistakes in your life and you're feeling just ashamed or you're feeling angry because you're hurt? And you, it becomes a barrier for getting together with the people of God and worshiping God. Church, I'll tell you, I have struggled with that. I personally have struggled with, with anger towards God that prevented me from wanting to come to worship with the people of God. I was angry at God. I was angry at God. And I did not want to be with the people of God. I was, I was in a bad spot. There had been a, a season in our, in our lives. We had been in ministry in, at Honey Rock Camp 
And we moved back down here. And as soon as we moved back here, we found out that Carrie was pregnant with our fourth child. And we had like no money. We had horrible insurance. And we were like, what are we going to do? Like, we were not happy. <laughs> we were not celebrating this. And we began to think and pray, and, and finally we got to this place where we were excited and we were happy. And Carrie was about 12 weeks pregnant, and we had told our kids about what was going on. And we went to the doctor, and we were going to have this, listen to the heartbeat and, and all this kind of stuff. And we got there, and there was, we couldn't hear the heartbeat. And we were like, well, that's kind of strange. So we set up another appointment. About a week later, we went back to the doctor, and again, there was no, no heartbeat. And guys, we were so excited. And now we were so terrified. And just hours later, we're in the ER with a horrible miscarriage. It's just an awful situation. And I remember being so mad in that moment. Just so angry. God, why? Why would you, why would you, make us so happy and then just like a few days later we're we're barely hanging on just our hearts torn out and i got angry church i was angry at god i didn't want to be at church well a few weeks pass and uh <clears throat> it's okay to cry in church. A few weeks pass, and Carrie says, let's go to Glen Ellen Bible Church. Let's go, to, let's go to Glen Ellen Bible Church. And we sat up there in that crowded balcony. It was hot. And we sat there, and God met us in this church. I remember worship. I remember the sermon on healing. Imagine that. And I remember sitting there with tears rolling down our cheeks. And our three kids down in nursery and children's ministry. And thinking, praise God. Praise God that he brought us here. Praise God that in our anger and in our sadness that, that we, didn't, we didn't run the other direction. That people had invited us here, encouraged us to come, and we sat there and God ministered to us, church. That was 12 years ago. 12 years ago, and we have not left. We're here because of the church, the people of God. And I want to tell you this morning, if you are stuck in that type of a place where you feel like you can't come to church because of your anger or your bitterness or your sin or your shame or your guilt, I want to tell you right now, you can sneak up and you can sit in the balcony I pray that God will minister to you here through these people in this room and through the reading of his word and the people praising God together. 
That's my hope. I know, church, that there is a lot of woundedness in this room. I know there's a lot of burdens people are carrying. Let's not let that be a barrier for us getting together, rejoicing and singing and praising God for what he has done for us through Jesus. Amen? Let me pray. Father God, thank you for tears. Thank you for this, this church. Thank you for your word. I pray that we will honor you and glorify you as we sing these songs and um, as we go about uh, the rest of our day. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a couple songs. Uh, Simone and Anthony helping her are down front. Man, I'd encourage you, get up and get prayed for this morning. If you've got something on your heart, they're great folks. They'd love to minister to you this morning through prayer. You can stand.